0: Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. Just a language warning for this episode. This episode has been brought to you by me and my business, Lauren Grace Inspirations. I'm a channel of the light and work with spirit guides, angels, the higher self and passed over loved ones to provide you with support, clarity and encouragement. Using oracle cards, mediumship, and clairvoyance, my readings will leave you feeling comforted and empowered. I have various reading options available, ranging from 30-minute readings to 60-minute readings to group sessions. I also work with professionals to help them gain clarity in business and life purpose. To book a reading with me, simply head to laurengraceinspirations.com. So... Lauren Grace here, and welcome to another edition of the Afterlight Podcast. And this is, well, maybe we could call this Meg the Unicorn Edition, if you'd like. Oh, I love
1: that. Yes. <laughs> so my
0: guest today is Meg Kelvin. She's an Amazon best-selling author, a speaker, and coach who helps who helps writers to do the deep spiritual work to build their author brands, write, market, and sell their Amazon best-selling books on paperback, Kindle, and Audible. Ooh, that is so good. She is known for her intuitive gifts, unconventional practices that help writers become creatively unblocked, and her award-worthy performances as a tree in a Midsummer Night's Dream as a third grader. So basically, Meg, you've done it all. You can hear it from <laughs> clients and explore a potential partnership with Meg at MegKelvin.com forward slash coaching. And today Meg is going to be joining me to talk about all things. We're going to be talking really a lot about the writing process. We're going to be tapping into that inner magic that you have within yourself, that inner story that a lot of our spiritual journeys have taken us on and through and are continuing to do and how we can maybe leverage and capitalize on that to really share our message with the world and to really maybe look at being able to create another avenue within our uh, spiritual businesses as well. So this is sort of a different kind of an episode. A lot of the episodes that we do really explore spiritual ideas. This one is sort of helping spiritual entrepreneurs to kind of go to that next level by unlocking this part of themselves. Meg, thank you so much for being here.
1: Welcome to the show. Oh, my pleasure, Lauren. I'm a huge fan of your show. I you you are with me every time I do my makeup and curl my hair it's always just you and me hanging out in my bathroom. Oh, and, I and so that. I'm, yeah. So
0: thank you for being you and doing what you do. Oh, thank you, my sister. That makes me cry. Actually. All right, let's get together. And I got to say, when I was reading your bio, I just felt absolutely covered in chills. I just feel that there's so much that we can tap in today to really help entrepreneurs. And I know myself as well. I remember I had a dream the other night where I was like, oh, it's time for me to write my book. And then, you know, how perfect that you and I are meeting today. So before we kind of kick off into, you know, what does it mean to be an Amazon bestseller? How can we really leverage on our spiritual gifts? Do our spirit guides assist us with this? Because we do know that our guides can help us with the tech. I'd love to know a little bit about how your spiritual journey began.
1: Yes, I have been so blessed when you asked guests this question on, on your show. So it's an honor to be being asked it myself. I met God. The label I used then was God at a as yeah. a very young, at a very young age. And the reason I felt was there were there were some there was some pain in my early childhood. And I'm so thankful for it because it did introduce me to God at a a God that heals in a very in a, to at a very young age. And so I'm I'm so thankful for that. Um when I was six, I began singing in a in an uh, all African American choir, Ooh. and I was the only Caucasian in the choir. And I was six, and they were all very friendly, kind adults that taught me how to feel the spirit in my body and to sing with my body, to worship with my body. And I was always, 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 yeah, so many chills as I tell you it to. So I, many chills, my God! So, yes, and I, I've always been drawn to the church. my My grandparents were missionaries, so when I was thirteen, I began. Uh, preaching, And I was already seen in the church, but when I was 13, I would travel with them in the mainline Protestant church. Obviously, I was a woman and that they were fine as my mainline Protestants, they were fine with women being leaders as they should be. So I would, they would take me to conferences and other churches and I would preach and sing. Then I got on a church staff at 17, um, went to seminary after college, but was on a church staff from age 17 to 32 became a full time Methodist minister in the church. And I was so, so thankful for all I learned and how I served there. And (laughs) it's obviously worth noting that the whole time I was there, I always in seminary and serving as a mainline Protestant minister, there was this part of me that at a deep level knew that this was only telling part of the story. So in 2017, my first book as an author was published and that opened the door for me to start speaking at conferences and coaching ministers to prevent compassion fatigue and uh, burnout. And at that time, um, I fell in love with coaching. And so my second book soon came, came out in 2019 and it uh, told my story. It's a satirical self-help book. I I tell people it's what would happen if Seth Myers and a nun were to conceive a book baby that would be my second book and it's I am my own sanctuary how a recovering holy roller found healing and power yeah. and after that book um, that book d- dropped December of 19 in March of 2018 I felt a nudge that it was time for me to leave the the church and go all in on coaching and I had felt a nudge that there were others like me who were, as I call them, spiritually attuned go-getters, who want, had beautifully healing and helpful high vibe books, but their religious indoctrinations were keeping them back from marketing, from receiving the abundance of income from their book, oh. and from fault, trusting their pleasure in writing. So I began, um, left the ministry in December of nineteen, um, yes, and began my, I would say my spiritual awakening (laughs) exploded right before I left the full-time ministry. And I began taking classes. I now work with my coach at the time, the Reverend Dr. Katie Valentine. I always drop her name on purpose because she's amazing. She's called the metaphysical Christian. And so she helps people who are coming from a really strict Christian background and also want to. Become remember their intuitive gifts. Remember past lives. um, To take classes on chakras and earth energy and angels and spirit guides. So I began studying with her and launched my business. And now I'm aware of my. I've remembered my intuitive gifts and I get to. I get to use them to serve others. So that is it. That's a long answer, but that's it.
0: Oh, it's such a great answer. And there's so many different you know, things that I want to touch on before we even get to the topic at hand. And, you know, you as a listener of the show, you would know that this sometimes happens. So we just got to roll with it. (laughs) We just got to go with where we're we're meant to go. Now, I do want to talk a little bit about scarcity. I do want to talk about how, um, you know, sometimes there's a disconnect I feel with people feeling that abundance is spiritual. So I do mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit and explore that subject for a minute, because I really can okay. hear our listeners at home struggling with that. Some, some of them themselves, but before that, I do want to touch a little bit about you kind of, you know, you decide to leave the ministry. I mean, was mm-hmm. there fear for you within that you were talking about having this sort of this nudge. And one of the things that I often feel is that we do, we get these nudges, we know what we're meant to do. But sometimes there's this huge wall of uncertainty and fear, and it can be crippling for people where we can really live in worry, where we can live as our small selves for so long. How did you sort of push through that or did it happen naturally and you didn't really even need to go there?
1: There are definitely those who are called to be in full-time Christian ministry forever. For me... I know that's not what you're asking, but I felt the need to say it because I wanted to affirm it because I believe every soul comes here with a different, so, with a different curriculum and that's good. And it serves you until it serves you. And that's amazing. Whatever religion that is. And I celebrate that for me at 13, when I began preaching, um, which I now know I was channeling, um, I didn't have that word back then, but now almost 37. I know what that, I know what was happening and I can, and I use that gift now. Um, when I was 13, though, the applause that I got at church was my love that I didn't feel at home. And and so that was my motive for entering the ministry was this is the only way I earn love or feel love as a human is if I preach and if I sing in the church setting. If I never, if I, if for some reason I lose that, I lose love, I lose belonging. So in December of 19, when I decided to step away For me, I use the word vocationally evolved, which did happen. But what really happened (laughs) at a deeper core level was that I, I healed things that needed to be healed from my childhood. And I began loving myself just as I was. No talents, no applause needed. Just who I am for who I am. And then that got me thinking, well, now that I am creating from a place of joy and not creating from a place of proving or defending myself what do I want to create? And it was, it was a coaching business that helps birth these healing, helpful books. So knowing, knowing that it was maybe 10% of me was afraid to leave, but the other 90% knew that it, it had to be done. Mm-hmm. And then you add on top of that, I had worked in the church since I was 17 and I was burnt out. And so there was, I was so loyal and I left on good terms. I didn't burn bridges on, as my mom taught me, like, you don't do that. And so <laughs> I left, everyone was at peace. And at the same time, I never once looked back. Um, and so that was that, did that answer the question?
0: Well, it did. It did for you. And it's interesting because it sounds to me as though, you know, maybe you had a little bit of nerves around it, but nerves mm. was different than fear. And I think that yeah. it seems to me that you were really propelled forward. I love how you talk about mm. changing vocation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, cause that, that's obviously what you ended up doing. And yes. I guess my question to you is, you know, have you ever made decisions out of fear or do you wait oh. for that? Do you wait for that moment where you go, you know what? I feel maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of uncertainty, but that's different than feeling that maybe there's something that I need to wait for. Like maybe more information, a better opportunity, the perfect timing. Sometimes people have a difficult time with backing their big idea Or actually Mm. taking the plunge, or changing vocation, or moving house, or leaving that relationship, right? So I was just kind of curious about your, but it sounds to me that for you it it was just a natural evolution,
1: and it was one that you did so with grace. It probably is worth noting and helpful. I did have an amazing business coach, so I had that in place. When I left the church, um, I went to a friend of mine that ran a nonprofit and said, "I need a, I need a two-year bridge." can I do professional marketing for your ministry for two years while I'm building my business? And so Mm -hmm. I started there. So I started my business part-time in 2020 and then August of 21 went full time, but I had this bridge. I had this, I had this place where I could work and make money elsewhere along with, and starting my side business. Mm -hmm. And that, that bridge was also a place for me to learn and polish my marketing skills that I was also enhancing my own business with. So I had those things in place. As well, And then I had reached out to others whose careers look like what I wanted mine to look like. And I, if like five to 10 years from now, I asked, I reached out to them and I said, and they were also former ministers. And I said, how did you know it was time to leave? And they both said to me, I knew it was time to leave. And then I waited a year or two longer and then I burnt the thing to the ground (laughs) and it was horrible. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of advice from people who were ahead of me um, professionally was very helpful because I knew in that moment, because I was so loyal as, as a cancer that I am, <laughs> um, because I was so loyal to my the church I served I could have stayed till I effing hated it. And so, and I didn't, I, I got out right before that. happened. So Let's go
0: back to the idea for a minute of scarcity, if we can, okay. and abundance, yeah. because you did sort of touch a little bit on that in your experience, mm-hmm. you know, we can even look at what you're dealing with or the types of people that you work with now, you know, do you think sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect with our Ability to be able to open up to abundance and also sharing our spiritual gifts. I mean, sometimes I know there's this idea that if you have these spiritual gifts or, you know, everyone has them, but I mean, if you are using them, let's say for services or something that there's something that's negative about that or turning your, you know, the spiritual part of yourself into a commodity can sometimes mm. be, you know, kind of frowned upon. I personally don't believe that. I believe in being abundant. I believe that when we're abundant, we have freedom. Yes. Uh, and we have freedom Very to clear be. on your show.
1: Yes. 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 I, love so, that you te- I love that you teach that.
0: So that's what I'm all about. You know, I'm okay. not going to sit here in scarcity. I'm going to sit in joy and abundance. So for you, what's your journey been like? with that and and even some of the people that
1: you've worked with being basically a minister since i was 13 there i had so many money blocks that i to me being a good pious christian was synonymous to poverty and it probably wasn't until i was launched my own business in 2020 that i removed that subconscious block that it is okay if money comes my way, it's for good things. And I infuse it with the energy of good high vibe things and understanding that a monetary value exchange is fair and needed for what I'm giving to the world. Um, and that I didn't have, and, and that that's also, I feel that is definitely aligned with the divine feminine that so much of the church in America has, shut off completely of the, of receiving pleasure. My husband and I are going to invest in a high quality mattress so that we can receive the pleasure of good rest and then serve people really well in the morning. And so, yes, I can definitely relate to that block. And a lot of my clients do as well for sure.
0: Yeah. How do you sort of help people to overcome that? Because, you know, when we're Mm -hmm. looking at, and we're about to get into the subject as well of, you know, unlocking those gifts within yourself and writing and sharing that Mm -hmm. I mean, you would have to be working on your mindset and your ability to be able to receive because it could affect your ability to be successful as well and sharing your Mm -hmm. message with the world if you're not you know, ready and willing to receive what comes with that as well. So how did you kind of overcome that? Is this something that you need to almost maintain affirmations and things like that every day? Or Mm -hmm. how do you kind of
1: support yourself and other people with that? One really effective exercise to do is to think about, to write down, if if I had, for example, if I, hypothetically speaking, if I afforded a high quality nanny, this is not hypothetical, this is my life. If I could pay a high quality nanny, what would that free me up to do? what How would that bless my child's life? It would free me up to take a power nap in the day. It would free me up to go take a break from my clients who I love and have lunch with a friend that fills my cup, that makes me feel confident that that is more money is going to make me a better coach. How would it bless my child to invest in a high quality nanny? She'll have curriculum this summer. She'll have more fun. She'll have um, she'll have someone who's caring for her as well, not as well as I could, but probably actually as well as me. And so making a list of what would I buy? if I was to bring, call in and receive this much money. Oh, I would buy gas to go visit my grandmother who's very sick. So when, when, whether they're Christian or not, because my clients are all across the spiritual spectrum, they all have stories about money. But then when we really write, when we, when we write it down and we see what they want to spend it on or what, what life, what other parts of life would open up if they had more money, um, like, oh, if I paid someone to detail my car, that would save me two hours. What could I do with that two hours? Mm-hmm. I could go get a massage because I'm a new mom and my back's been killing me because I'm literally carrying this 25 pound baby. every So once we see that what we we write it out, that what I want is high vibe, it is it is good, it is holy. It's adding goodness back into the universe. Um, that's what I'm gonna do with my money. Once we see that, that helps a lot. And then like, the second most effective Breakthrough exercise um, is any exercise that deals with (laughs) self-trust because Mm -hmm. we can trust ourselves that if ever we're out of alignment in our spending or in what we're asking a client to pay us, we can trust ourselves. And I, um, it's dropping on my head right now to share like human design, studying that and realizing my sake, my authority is the sacral chakra. And so I make decisions by a, a primal guttural, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh-huh, and I can, unlike some of my clients that there's a splenic or emotional or whatever, um, I can trust it in the moment. If it's a fuck, yes, it's a yes. If it's not a fuck, yes, it's a no, but even with money, mm. I can, tr- I can trust myself and say, oh, wait that was not an alignment for me. And I I will be okay. I can, I can receive the gift of the abundance of income. And then I guess the third, the third step I share with clients is we do works around money blocks. We do works around um, Gay Hendricks work around the the book, the upper limit problem. Yeah, and so, good. so those, those three tips come to mind.
0: Yeah. I love that a lot. And you know, one thing too, um, when you were talking about it, so it's like, okay, if I save two hours, if I, if I get my car detailed and I save two hours and I go get a massage. Okay. Well, number one, you're also employing the person who's detailing your car and then they're making revenue in turn that they can then support their family and they can send their kid to that summer, that summer camp they really wanted to go to. You're helping the masseuse who is, you know, creating a side hustle and wanting to go Mm -hmm. full time to start to get the kind of business that she needs to be able to go fully in on it. So there's mm-hmm. this whole wonderful thing. And I love how you're talking about the idea of that when we have money, well, what would we do with it? And, you know, I was uh, listening, I I listen to audiobooks as well, and we will talk about the importance of that in just a moment as well. Um, Rachel Rogers' book, which is um, We're All Meant to Be Millionaires or something like that in the title. What it's a great just, title. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. But one of the things that she was talking about is how women, when they're making money, they, they so often put it back into the community. And that is such a cool thing as well. When we think about, yeah, well, what would I actually do with that? How would this enhance my life and then therefore enhance the lives of others? So what Mm -hmm. a great suggestion, Meg. Thank you for that. So let's get into the subject at hand now, which is all about books. So do you believe that, you know, in general, people have a book within them? And how do they tap into that? And, you know, when I'm asking you that question, I'm hearing somebody in the background go, yeah, maybe people have a book within them. It doesn't mean
1: that they're a good writer. Oh, I love this question. (laughs) That is correct. Whoever, Whoever gave you, spoke that to you. I would agree with them that there are those that have a book idea within them, but they're not a good, they're not a good writer. Yeah. And I've been so honored to serve 38 people as clients since I launched in 2020 and I have yet to work with someone who is not a good writer. That doesn't mean they're not out there obviously. So I would say if someone has a book idea within them and it is true that they're not a good writer, they two options come to mind. They could be, they could learn how to be, and which is what I love to do. And, or, or they could work with someone very different than me, who is a ghost writer, and they could tell their story. Mm. And so I think if someone's listening to this, which they probably are, and they're thinking, someone is thinking this could be thinking this, that's listening. Um, If they're thinking, do I need a coach or a ghost writer? What I've discovered is the way to tell is, you want a ghost writer, if You care most about your mess, the story you want to share getting out to the world. That's all that you care about. You don't care about the love and the pleasure and the bliss of writing Mm. or the habit of writing. But if you want to remember your love, bliss, and pleasure of writing, or you're currently aware of how healing and cathartic and pleasurable writing is for you, and you also have a, a book that is going to be helpful in healing, to the world, then you want a writing coach. So there's a difference. I think that there's a difference there um, for for sure.
0: Yeah, that's so great. I love that. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what makes up a good book. Because let's say that everybody has a book within them, that they have a story, mm-hmm. you know, and people who are listening to this very often are have been on their spiritual journey for a while. Maybe they're still new and starting out. But a lot of times they're sort of a catalyst that has mm-hmm. kicked them onto the path, whether or not they wanted to find themselves there. So how do mm-hmm. you kind of help people to identify their book idea, or do people primarily come to you once they know what they want to talk
1: about? Both. We have sometimes they have a contents page, they have a suggested outline, sometimes they have just a sentence on a napkin, sometimes they just have a question. So usually two ways to figure out what is this book? Oh, I should pause and say most of the time my clients are also aware when they come to me if it's going to be a memoir or if it's going to be nonfiction with personal anecdote moments. So usually there we get we get clear on that, too, because I offer different templates when I design their outline with them to assure it's the most readable, relatable, retainable and highly marketable book. We I, I help them create an outline when we're writing it together. Okay, so. They usually know, we get clear on that. Is it a memoir? Or is it nonfiction? Which is wh- how I serve currently, working on learning fiction, but not there yet with my own coach. Okay. And then, so your first question, how to get clear on their, I? how do I help them get clear on their idea? So usually what is speaking to them that led them to this moment to get on an exploration call with me is something is really pissing them off (laughs) or has broken their heart. (laughs) And, and so there's this, there's this, um, this isn't mine. I want to give him credit. It's Bill, Bill Hybels talks about holy discontent. And so there's something that is driving them to serve others, but it is a discontent. And so that book, that was actually, that's um, this, an example. One, one client of mine wrote a book, called Good Things Happen in the Dark. And it was a curated collection of essays of her time in grief and divorce. And that she leaned into the darkness of grief. Um, but there was this 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 holy discontent led her to question, can good things come from dark nights of the soul? Can good things come from grief? And so the church was telling the church she was a part of was telling her to in a sense, spiritually bypass, as some do in spiritual circles. We can sometimes be told to skip certain emotions. She was getting that kind of message from others in her life, but she was, no, I want to go to the depths of my pain and my grief. And so that holy discontent, that question led to the book. So when, sometimes we, at the beginning, we will get clear on, is the book asking a question? Is that question, like for my second book, was that question Why do Christians think ambition is sinful? Why are ministers so lazy? That those kind of questions led to my second book, and um, so we we get clear on the question that the book is asking first, because I had the belief that the book is a third party. It's it's the author, it's the partner in me, the writing and marketing coach, and then the third party is the book. It's a divine entity itself that's chosen the author. And so I want to do my best to intuitively align with the author, but also the book too.
0: That's really interesting because I know um, one of my healers, uh, Bernadette Lachlan. shout out Shout out to her. Um, <clears throat> healing works. If people are interested, they can DM me. But um, she was talking to me and teaching me about how you know our emotions are have souls, and our mm. cells all have their own soul. And when you start to look at things like that, you know, even when I look at my business, I go, my business has its own soul. My podcast has its own soul. You know, Mm -hmm. you're kind of talking about bringing in this book that has its own soul and its own energy. And I just, I love that about that. And one of the things that I think it's important to kind of talk about is that when you are a spiritual entrepreneur, that there are, are different avenues that you can utilize to really help to nurture your audience and to build authority and to share your story um, to kind of assist people in finding their way to the other services that you provide. How do you sort of begin the process? You know, are there sort of like a structure that you work through? Is there something that, you know, they need to really start to think about the outcome that they want first of all, and then they work back
1: from there? Yes. So I have the belief that there's a, a part of us that has a deep inner knowing of the target reader before we even start we might not have words for it yet and so most of the time if it's not a coach that's already clear on their target audience member they are the author if it's not that the author is writing to themselves 7 to 10 years ago usually and so we start we start there and and so the first process the first step of the process is to get in tune with the book so i have different intuitive exercises i walk the reader the author through to get in touch with the book. And, and, and so after we take those steps and we've decided what genre it's going to be, then we create a, a template for the book. So they know exactly what each chapter will be, What they have writing prompts. We're Zooming together an hour a week. I'm in the Google Doc with them, dancing with their words in between our Zooms. And um, so we get in tune with the book, we break through writer's block, continually when that comes up Mm. through sometimes unconventional practices um, such as watching a Dolly Parton documentary and exploring what themes of the divine feminine is in that movie and um, or going on a field trip or sitting under a tree doing different breathing exercises doing different meditations but there's it's I've yet to meet an author whose writer's block is a lack of talent or lack of time or lack of a good idea, the, the biggest blocks are always deep subconscious limiting beliefs around their identity or their time. So we, we break through writer's block, we write the book together, and we help them honor their style. We do a pers- We do a personality test together, so I get clear on their learning style and how to best honor their brain. We create a weekly word count goal. We look at their house, where's the best place to write, time of day to write that honors them. So we get a healthy, sustainable habit. I always say that authors who work with me, if I've done my job right, will be much better writers and much better marketing authors 10 years from now because of what we did together. Um, then once it's written, a teammate of mine does all editing and formatting and uploading to KDP on Amazon. I begin mar- become their marketing coach and they learn all the different parts of organic social media marketing, email marketing building a street team, we get the, we guarantee the book hits bestseller on Kindle and paperback. And then um, if they want the audible package as well, they, we do audible books with um, audible. So for audio books. So that is the process in a nutshell. And that's either a six month or 12 month package. Yeah.
0: Well, I love that. So it sounds to me like there's a lot of accountability. Now I do want to ask you a little bit about some of the people that I've worked with before are sometimes nervous about sharing their story. I remember I had a client before and she was saying that she would probably have to die before she could release her book. Have you, um, you know, how do you sort of help people through that to be brave, to share their story or are there some stories that are really better left unsaid?
1: This comes up a lot. It reminds me of the, the comic book, Jason Aaron's quote, which is right. Like your parents are dead. And he, he says that because that's holding up so many writers they're afraid to hurt feelings they're afraid to be rejected totally yes The, the steps that I take with authors are first we intuitively check in with the book do they want the book does this book want to be written from a place of before or after you've forgiven someone because those are two different books and both books are okay but just acknowledging these will be two very different books so checking in on that Intuitively, spiritually. And then sometimes it calls for a sweaty palm conversation with someone in the family, not mm-hmm. for permission, but simply letting them in. And that is usually best happens when the book is a major is done, <laughs> yeah. is complete to, to create to protect that creative mojo and mm-hmm. creative juju and whatnot. So one thing to do is. We have one chapter that the author is really nervous about writing because of the how it could hurt the family. So we do an exercise where we write a version of the chapter as if the family totally supports it being written. They're so proud of their son or daughter for writing it. It's going to heal the ancestral lineage, lineage of wounds and whatnot. And they're so supportive. And as the writer is writing that version, I invite them to check into their body do they feel at peace? Do their shoulders feel open? Is their heart rate slow? Is their stomach relaxed? Do they feel totally in the state of flow while they're writing it to just take note of all those things and take note of how easily it comes out of them? Usually it comes out totally in alignment, totally in flow. It comes out quickly and yes. ease. Then they write another version of the chapter, same chapter, but they're being very filtered and protected. They're being protective of their mom. Or somebody. So they're changing a lot of things. And I invite them to take note. How long did it take you to write? How did your head, forehead feel? How did your stomach feel? Oh, my forehead felt really tight. I took forever to write it. I, I struggled with analysis paralysis. My stomach was a storm the whole time. And so then coming home to which one did you feel more peace writing? Oh, well, the one where I felt supported. So from that place, we can either agree to have a sweaty palm conversation with the mom which I guide them through that as well. So thankful for all my pastoral care training over the years. We guide them through either letter writing or having a sweaty palm conversation. Um, Or as it has happened, sweaty palm conversation happened. Um, Mom still wasn't happy about it, but the author decided to still do it, to still publish the book. And if none of those options work, most of the time, Most of the time, the sweaty palm conversation leads to healing, to grace, to forgiveness, because the authors I've worked with are writing from a place of love and not vengeful, not they're not in a vengeful Mm -hmm. state, they're in a state of integrity and love. And the family member feels that most of the time, there's only one client for the sweaty palm conversation didn't go well if none of those suggestions sound in alignment for people as authors there's always the option of changing all the identifying factors changing the gender <laughs> change the age even change the genre and dramatize fiction and so loosely based on a true story um just kidding but there are there are ways we can protect the person without sweaty palm conversations having to happen um but yeah. as i believe landing the landing the plane for this question every book when we birth a book we birth a breakthrough and that has been true for myself and my clients. When we birth books, it affects positively every other part of our life. We find confidence we didn't think we have. And we get out of the unhealthy marriage. We leave the unfulfilling job. We finally moved to France. We've been wanting to do for seven years. And so I encourage authors when there's a moment of writer's block because they're worried about hurting someone's feelings um, to pause and check in. Does do I need to have a sweaty palm conversation with this person? Because this might, this might, this moment right now might be more than about just the book. So those are some suggestions because they come up all the time with writers who are writing memoirs or nonfiction Mm -hmm. with personal anecdotes. Mm
0: -hmm. It's funny because one of the themes that I see, you know, in in my discussions with people on the show is a lot about the power of journaling and the power of writing and the power of, you know, kind of freeing your mind From all of the the stuff that's going on in it and just putting it on paper and not even necessarily having a home for that to go to, like you could burn Mm -hmm. those pages after. So, you know, I love how you're talking about, you know, a book being a breakthrough as well. Do you have people that sometimes write a book and they've got absolutely no intention of sharing it? It's just more
1: of a cathartic process for them. There are some in my online courses that do that, but those that want a lead magnet That'll keep growing their audience years after the book drops, they they want they want to make money. (laughs) They and they want their book to get them clients and get them speaking gigs. So yeah.
0: Yeah. So when we talk about a lead magnet, for our listener at home, they might not be familiar with that. Can you define what a lead magnet is for you? Yeah.
1: So the way we design, we, I design books, then my team publishes them, is an intentional introduction. And so that intentional introduction is written in the form of direct response copy where it's helping the reader get clear on their pain points and their the paradise they wish to create and it it, even before they start the book it's solidified that this this book is not only is the book going to help them relieve the, the pain that they're feeling around their current situation but the author is also going to give them bonuses so whether that's a video training course for free or Um, a free reflection guide supplement to go with the book. There's, there's an, there's a value added upfront email builder that is at the front of the book. And so whether that's a website or QR code um, that is, that is at the start of, of every book. So years after the client's email list is still being built from readers of the book. So okay. it, it's, it's collecting leads.
0: Yes. Okay, perfect. So um, do you believe that entrepreneurs who are wanting to scale their business, grow their business, build stronger communities, um, build that authority that they do need to have a book?
1: If they're feeling a divine nudge to write it, only if. And so if they check in with whatever chakra is their authority or however they make decisions, so whatever strategy they use for that, and they that it is a, it's a hell yes, I want to write a book. Then, yes, I would say definitely, because not only is it a powerful, powerful lead magnet, but there's so most important reason, I think, is there's so much noise, content overloaded, as we know, we can learn anything on our toilets, on Wikipedia, on our phone, which is gross, I know. Yeah. So now that we've shifted from the age of information to the age of intuition, people don't want to pay give me their money, make a monetary value exchange until they see me as relatable, trustworthy, and respectable. That's the modern day currency. So how do we show up in someone's life, human to human, and break through the noise of the digital world? One of the best ways to, this is going to sound so weird, it's a paradox, but one of the best ways to explode your online business is to exist in your ideal target market's life outside of the internet and so one of the best ways to do that (laughs) is a book and so they will have your book on in their shotgun seat in their jeep on their bedside table on their coffee table um in their tote bag and so they see your name repeatedly you're part of their life and so when questions come up like oh gosh how what is a power animal? How is that spirit? Is that is that a type of spirit guide? What is that? Who do I, how could I get this information? The first person they're going to think of is the author whose book is right next to their bed. Oh, Mary Jane is a master of spirit guide courses. I'm going to go check her out. So I think existing in your ideal target markets world outside of their smartphone is huge, huge. Mm-hmm. It makes you break through the noise and a book's a great way to do that.
0: Do you think though that print printing books is a dying media or do you think it's sort of something that people are are coveting because it's that tangible product that they have mm. you know that they go oh this is my special like um for our listener at home you can't see me but I have a whole plethora of books behind me and you know these yeah. are just some of my shelves and I love to have my books because it's like I got my people here I got my friends
1: clothes right. yeah. but you know my iPad is also full of friends mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, yes. Yes. Um, this is so exciting. According to a recent Pew Research article, paperback books outsold eBooks four to one between the years of 19, 2019 to 2021. Mm. And according, I can give you the link to that article for your show notes. Um, I'll make a note to yes. do that. A- according to that, there's a, there was a chunk of pie, a little diagram that, uh, whatever that's called, That show the percentages of people that enjoy reading just on paperback and like 37% prefer paperback over ebook 26% of of those a part of this test study liked both Um, 6% liked just ebooks so dead sadly dead trees are here to stay.
0: I also personally like, you know, reading my eBooks at night. Sometimes my partner's asleep, you know, I can kind of, I don't have to have the light on. I can just read it on my iPad, which is really helpful, but I also write in my books. So I've got, Mm. you know, certain books that I've got that have just been completely (laughs) like, they look like they're completely different color because of all the notes within them or the highlighters. So, and I like the idea of being able to flip through it. One of the things that I've tapped into in the last year though, are Audible books? And I don't personally listen to fiction on Audible. I prefer to read fiction. Um, but I've been listening to a hell of a lot of nonfiction and it's been a complete game changer for me. So, what are your thoughts on Audible? Do you think it's something that people,
1: you know, really need to think about? If the business owner or the client feels a desire to create an audible audiobook, yes, it would serve. Their audience, 100%. And I, 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 answer it that way because I, I think one of the worst things we can do when we are a personal brand um, is follow all the trends and, and but not doing things that light us up. Because when we do things that light us up, we become magnetic for those that we're serving, and people feel that on our social media and our website and whatever. Mm. And so, if someone feels like I I want to serve the auditory learners out there who are folding laundry or running on a treadmill and listening to books. Then yes, that person should definitely do an audio audible book. But if that sounds life sucking to a coach to do that, um, for example, my second book they had a a voiceover do it for me. I didn't I didn't want to read it. I it just it just didn't feel in alignment. The authors I serve currently they do want to read theirs, and so they're they're coming to the studio with me and we're editing and producing all of it for them. Because it is, it's a, it's a hell yes for them to do it. So it is, it is, it is exploding. And there are we love to multitask. So yes, audible audiobooks are very popular. One hundred (laughs) percent, yes.
0: So when you had somebody else read your book for you, did you audition the voiceover artist? Because I will say that I've had some books that I really want to read, and I'm, Mm. I'm happy to listen to them. I even maybe have a hard copy of them, but the voice is not to my liking. <laughs> so I'm not able to go there. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. Yep. We, at that time I was working with a publishing company and they sent me aud- the audition video, tra- um audio tracks to listen to. And I got to pick who, who was the best aligned with, with my book.
0: Yeah. I love that. Are there some do's and don'ts that you would recommend if somebody's toying with the idea of getting started with writing um if somebody's kind of maybe they already have their book and now they're like well i don't really need a writing coach because i already have Mm -hmm. my finished product are there some different tips and tricks that you can recommend to people along their journey that you'd like to share
1: the first the first tip i always share if the if the book has not started yet but it's whispering to the person is to surrender to the idea and let the book idea within you know that you see it and you hear it and you love it and you believe in it and make the decision today that you're going to release it. You're going to birth it and release it into the world. That is a huge first step. And then metaphysically, existentially, spiritually, whatever word you want to use, then allow this. the best thing to happen is that idea is going to get louder and louder. And it's because it's, it understands that you see it now and it trusts you. and <laughs> And so that's the as woo woo as that sounds. It is one hundred percent accurate. And and so that that is always the that is always the first the the first step to take before looking at working with a a writing coach or a publishing team. My company is everything. After seven years in the publishing game, I created the ideal author experience with the Prosperous Writer Plan, which is everything that a writer needs, a memoir or nonfiction author, from writing it to marketing it to selling it. And we take all the the less sexy, not fun nuts and bolts off the client's plate so they can just show up and play in the divine feminine of creativity another tip now that you've surrendered to the idea know that you have support that we are people like me are out in the world for you can I just
0: say on that subject though people who having it like sometimes I think people I, I just see them sometimes putting out maybe books or even products or services that are kind of not really fully ready or fully realized or mm. that there's actually a strategy behind being able to be successful. I mean, you don't just mm-hmm. put your book on Amazon and then you're number one Amazon bestseller without strategy. So mm-hmm. do you think that, you know, that's maybe something that people need to consider is the timing of that or getting someone like yourself or another expert to really help guide them through that particular process? Or do you think that You know, if it's meant to be, spirit will, you know, manipulate the tech and the the book will go (laughs) viral with no issue.
1: Yes. Yes. I agree with you that there is great power in taking radical responsibility that we are 5D, but we're also 3D and hundred percent. There's, there's a game to play with the Amazon algorithm and keyword research and category research that my team does. And there's a, my cover designer is a phenomenal multimedia artist that makes your book just leap off the smartphone screen on Amazon. So there's tons of strategy and it's really easy to self-publish a book on KDP on Amazon, but it's not easy to do it really, really well and make it look like Penguin published it, which is what my team does. And, and, and makes them, makes marketing and as, as an author really fun. That's a priority of mine is to have a paradigm shift for the author around marketing, because they get crystal clear on their marketing plan, on their their niche, who is their target market for this book, and how do I market it in a sustainable way that's fun for me and, and serving my readers. We get crystal clear on, on those steps as well. And that takes radical responsibility on the author's part to agree to that kind of partnership. Yeah, yeah. definitely.
0: There's so much that really goes into building successful spiritual businesses. You know, it's really about taking those calculating risks. It's about seeking people who have gone before. I love how you talked earlier about how, you know, people who've gone before and like learning from them, like when you were mm-hmm. talking about the ministers, you know, yes. kind of see maybe what, not what to do. And that's a big part about it. It's about understanding that you know, everyone has gone before you already. So how can mm-hmm. you leverage off of that? How can you learn from that? And I think that, you know, sometimes we forget as spiritual people that, yeah, we can be divinely guided by source, so we can be divinely guided by our own innate gift and our understanding of our purpose. But, you know, like you said, we still live in the 3D also. And so we still mm-hmm. really do need to take that personal responsibility for charting our own course and doing so in a logical way sometimes. Well said someone's listening up to now, I feel like we're really resonating with them right now. So I want them to hear that.
1: Oh, totally, totally. And I, I want them to also hear that the the book idea is talking to them for two very important reasons, which is to bring them the, the joy and the cathartic healing and the bliss of writing it and releasing it. The book's there for that reason and equally important, as important, but not more important, equally as important, the book's talking to them because someone outside of them, as we know in quantum physics and spirituality, we're all connected. And we know that energy follows thought. The idea is whispering louder and louder to them over the past four years, because the need of someone outside of them is growing. And that person's manifesting, that person's praying, that person's casting visions. I wish someone with this exact style, with these scars, with this perspective, with this idea, would write this flipping book and give me help with x with this specific mm. problem so surrendering to the idea and then bo- so many authors are held up on my my book idea has already been written by a better big name author or no this is common sense no one's going to find this interesting but the fact that the book idea is still talking to you means those things are false because the book mm. idea is getting louder because someone's need is getting louder
0: Yeah, I love that. And I will say as well, just to echo that statement that sometimes we think when we've delivered a message to our audience one time that they get it, but Mm. they actually need to hear it like a thousand times, minimum seven (laughs) times. There's a whole thing called the rule of seven where they need to see your message at least seven times to convert. But let me say it's the same with our messages, isn't it, Meg? Like we can really tell people something Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And it's not until a year or two from now that they actually go, oh,
1: wow, I just got it. Mm-hmm. like I've been preaching yes. this for ages. <laughs> yeah. It makes me think of all the people that I hop on a sales call with or an exploration call, breakthrough call, whatever you want to call it strategy session. I'll hop on and they're like, I've been following you for years. I love your content. And I'm looking back and I'm like, I have never once seen you comment or like, or <laughs> anything, but glad, <laughs> glad to see it serving you. So we call those lurkers. They just kind of lurk and watch yeah. So. <laughs> and then when they're ready,
0: when, you know, they're ready, message, I'm here. <laughs> they can't deny it anymore, then they're there. Yeah, that's great. So, Meg, yes. how can people get a hold of you? Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to make sure that you mentioned before we wrap here today?
1: I would love to give your listeners a free gift, which is a video training three ways to make marketing your book more fun and less frustrating. And they can grab that at megcalvin.com. And no, I don't have anything else to say, except for what I love to say at the end of podcasts, which is the quote from Rumi, which is always remember that which you seek is also seeking you. That's
0: beautiful. Well, thank you so much for being here. I know you shared so many valuable tips and tricks and for our listener at home, you know, this may be an episode that you go and you listen to again, just to make sure that you get those nuggets of wisdom, because there are a lot of them for you. (laughs) Thank
1: you, Meg. My pleasure.
0: Hi. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New
1: episodes
0: every Thursday.